I'd love to meet you in the lobby and maybe shake your hand and say hi uh, to you. If you're not new, welcome back. And if you are a new believer, um, if you're new to the Bible, to Christianity, we're glad you're here. Uh, our hope is that our church becomes a church that knows Jesus and makes him known. I don't have a Mother's Day uh, sermon for you or message for you, uh, but we are in the series uh, on the Gospel of Mark, and so this is week three. We're only at verse 12 of chapter one, so we're going to be here for quite some time, and maybe somebody will turn on the lights so that you can see, or not, we could just sit in utter dark darkness. That's totally fine with me as well. Um, whatever floats our boats. Mark chapter one, give it up for Kathy. That's right. Go, go for it, Kathy. Right. Yeah. Mark chapter one. There's a high plate too right there, Gail. Mark chapter one. We're going to pick it up in verse 12, but I'll wait for that light to glorious turn, gloriously turn on. There it goes. There we are. Now you can see your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, uh, the verses will be on the screen. There are also Bibles out in the lobby, and that is our gift for you. We'd love for you to take one. Mark chapter 1, in the New Testament, the second book. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right. We're going to pick it up in verse number 12. The Spirit immediately drove him, being Jesus, out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, and they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left, amen, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets, and immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. One more time, let's ask God to bless the reading of his word and let's pray over our time, remaining time together. Lord, again, we boldly come before you and humbly come before you and that's only through the work of Jesus Christ. And we ask that you would save, be mighty to save in this room and, and although we may have been looking for a word, we thank you, God, that your word just spoke to us. Although it was just my voice, it was your word that we just heard this morning. So we ask that you would be mighty to save. We ask that you would be mighty to heal and to set us free from ourselves and, and from our addictions and our past, Lord. And God, would you open up our eyes to see you and you alone, that when we leave this room, that we would say, behold Jesus and how glorious he is. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Mark's gospel gives us the good news that Jesus is this long-awaited king and that he is here. And Jesus arrives on the scene with a message 
as all kings do, Jesus steps into this big story here that God has had his people on. And we know that Jesus is the climax to Israel's story. And he's making a new way for us, as we talked about last week, that Jesus is making and preparing this better promised land for us. The context here is that what we just read last week is that John the Baptist just baptized Jesus. The Holy Spirit came upon him and God audibly speaks from the heaven that this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And what we see in that passage is that that is the inauguration of King Jesus. It is the coronation of our King and he is here now. Spirit descends on him. God um, beautifully inaugurates him as king before all of the people. And then it just moves really fast, as I told you the Gospel of Mark does, right? I mean, it moves just rapidly. We, we're missing a lot of things that Jesus does between that and where we just picked up in verse 12. And that's the way Mark is going to write for us. He's very fast in his writing, unlike many of you women who have the gift of detail, Right? That's not a hit. That's like, I'm praising you mothers and you women this morning because you are so attentive to detail. Meanwhile, I'm not, I don't care, right? I'll just like, okay, like if, if me and Miranda, like if I go out with somebody and, and she comes back, she's like, so what'd you talk about? I'm like, mm. we talked about the thing, you know, and that was it, right? I mean, she's like, well, you've been there for two hours. What did you talk about? I'm like, I don't, I mean, just stuff. Right, so, the, so like I like Mark's flow here because he, he flows with how I think and flows with how I, I respond to people. And that may be a healthier, unhealthy way, uh, but that's neither here nor there. So Mark is immediately, he wants to show us in this inauguration of King Jesus, how Jesus demonstrates his authority and his power over a few things here. Jesus demonstrates his authority. What Mark wants us to see, that Jesus demonstrates his authority over Satan he demonstrates his authority by conquering Satan, by also conquering temptation. And then it moves to that next paragraph where Jesus is conquering sin with the message and clear message of the gospel. And Jesus is also displaying his authority by showing us how he conquers sinners. So let me, let me repeat that so we all got that, right? Jesus Mark is wanting to display the authority of Jesus and how Jesus conquers everything. So he does that by conquering Satan, conquering temptation. Then he moves to the next paragraph by his conquering sin by the message of the gospel. And then he's also conquering sinners. If I were to illustrate this in a way, what I think Mark would want us to see that this is a method in how Jesus is operating in his ministry. We've got many methods of ministry out there in the world today, but, but Mark wants us to see that this is how Jesus is going to begin his ministry and how his ministry is going to function. These are the methods of Jesus's ministry that Mark is given to us. Now, we know methods of ministry. In fact, what I would suggest that our methods of ministry are likely more like preferences of ministry. Our preferences of ministry are, are, are live music, and then you have some that have like dead sounding music, and then you have some without music, and then you have preferences where people have 
church in a certain type of building, or some people do it in a movie theater. And then you have preferences where the preacher dresses up, or he just wears constantly t-shirts and jeans every Sunday. And you have all these different types of preferences within the church. And then you get really weird preferences that people like flock to, like it's, a, like it's an occult or something, and you flock to these preferences and, and likely these, these types of methods of ministry only lead you to failures, right? You have um, cultural fads as a method of ministry. But there is never changing model that's wrapped in the scripture. There's a never changing model of ministry that is wrapped in this text. And newsflash, it works, I mean, it overtook the Roman Empire by following after this model that Jesus is giving us here. And here's the method. Uh, Victory over Satan, a a clear message of the gospel. And in fact, I would throw in there a, a simple, clear message of the gospel. And then the other method that Jesus is displaying to us is this gospel community that Jesus here is illustrating that now when he calls out these four boys, that he is building a kingdom, building a kingdom of men and women who will do life in community with each other. And Jesus establishes his might, his kingdom might over Satan. And he establishes his kingdom with this clear message and he establishes his kingdom by building a community, a gospel-centered community of people. Let's take a look at this first one, how Jesus illustrates this method of ministry with a victory over Satan. And it's kind of funny, like how Mark moves into this, like, you know, Holy Spirit comes on Jesus, voice audibly comes out of nowhere, which, you know, I would love to see the description of how the people responded to the voice coming out of nowhere. Meanwhile, Matthew was like going out to hide somewhere because, you know, come on, man, like we, always, we always say like, oh, I want God to audibly speak to him. No, you don't. When God audibly speaks to people in the Bible, they like fall on their faces or they run and hide. It's never good. Like, you know, if God is about to audibly speak, like, so, so here's God, he's audibly speaking. This is the king. Here's the inauguration of King Jesus. And what does the text immediately say after that? That the spirit, the Holy Spirit, thrusts Jesus out into the wilderness. And that Greek word that he leads him out into the wilderness is like the strong force that the Holy Spirit is the one who is leading out Jesus into this wilderness. And why a wilderness, right? Ever thought that? Like, why a wilderness? Because the king is going to have to conquer Satan on his own. The king, how he displays this authority is that he does this by himself and he don't need our help. And so he goes out and Mark's gospel would say that he's being tempted for 40 days. So this entire time, nothing to eat. He's alone. No one's there to pray with him. No one's there to pray for him. No one's there to help him. He's not eating. He's all by himself. No one is there to help him handle Satan except for himself. 
No one's there to comfort him. No one is there to encourage him. He is absolutely alone and he must demonstrate his power over Satan all by himself. The wilderness, likely where this particular area that Jesus is in is a rocky place with rough peaks and cliffs. And so this isn't like some, you know, hike that you would take for, you know, like, like for enjoyment, right? So Jesus is out here in this treacherous land all by himself. Now the wilderness plays a major theme in the Old Testament. So Jesus is going to be tempted unlike Adam. Adam was tempted in paradise, a lush place, while in companionship with Eve and Adam fell. Jesus, on the other hand, is in utter isolation in a place that has felt the most weight of sin and depravity in this dangerous wilderness, and he's led into this wilderness and conquers Satan. Moses was led into the wilderness because he murdered someone, and Jesus is led into the wilderness because he will be the ultimate one who is going to be murdered. Moses finds his wife and a new family in the wilderness. Jesus is in the wilderness, isolated all by himself. The children of Israel are led into the wilderness with a promise given to him that they will be led into the promised land filled with milk and honey. Jesus is led into the wilderness so that he can make a way for us that we could be in his promised land where there is eternal peace, where there is forgiveness, and where there is eternal presence with him. So the wilderness has huge implications in the Old Testament. And Jesus is there, again, all by himself, no support system. And then the Bible says that there are like wild animals around him. Now, we, we know that there are literal wild animals around him. But if you remember back a few weeks, I mentioned this, that this particular verse could be that Mark is writing an encouragement to the persecuted church that this letter, this gospel is circulating around in Rome where the brothers and sisters of Christ are being heavily persecuted and they're being thrown into wild animals. Here's what Mark is telling them. Hey, Jesus is there with you. Being thrown out and, and being devoured by wild beasts, Jesus knows feeling like you're all alone by yourself in the wilderness. Jesus, he knows he's been there. In fact, he's been there all by himself, literally. We can find a model of ministry tucked into this two very important verses that Jesus's model and his method of ministry was to overtake and overcome Satan and sin and temptation in the wilderness. What does that say for us? That if we want to be an effective or if we want to be a strong church, a church that has a strong foundation, then, then what does this look like for us? It's holiness. Because holiness leads to us conquering temptation and sin. 
Like, I love how welcoming this church is. I love how the message of the church should be come as you are. Like, come, come every person. Like, you are welcome here. But make no mistake about it. The message of the Bible is for us to grow in holiness. The message of the New Testament is that we would become more like Christ. And what does that look like? It's when you get to a place where you are overcoming temptations, when you are overcoming your sin. Will there always be be temptation? You better believe it. Will there always be sin around you? Yes. There's this thing that theologians call is sanctification. The more we grow into sin, or, or the more we grow, oh, the more, well, you could grow into sin, that's you. But the rest of us, the more who wants to grow into his likeness, then the less those sins that used to entangle us, right? Like I've been a believer for a long time, like sin that I used to deal with in my teen years, and in my 20s, and in my, in my 30s. Um, those things, I, you know, I don't, I'm not bothered by those things anymore. Why? Because I'm growing in Christ. It's holiness. I'm getting a sense now to where I'm conquering those temptations. I'm in a place now where I can conquer those sins. And then there's this next, like, like I love it how Mark just like, pow, jumps right into the next um, paragraph here, and he gives us the message of Jesus. And Jesus had a clear message. It was, what? Repent and believe. I mean, it's not complicated. Repent and believe. And so he, so right here, he finally goes public with his, with his ministry, and his message is simple, clear, repent, believe. That's it. A lot of time has passed. His baptism happened months ago, and now he's in Galilee. This is where he launches. And I think this is fascinating that he launches his message um, to Galilee, preaching the gospel of God. Galilee is in the northern area of Israel. It's kind of on the outskirts of Israel, far from the religious center in Jerusalem and the fact that Jesus launches his ministry here and not to where all the, you know, the religious upright people are, but he goes out to the outskirts of town to launch his ministry. He finds all the bubbas, right? He's finding all those who have been kind of disenfranchised, all those who have kind of been looked upon. Oh, you're from Galilee, right? He goes there and launches his ministry with that simple message, repent and believe. It is the good news. It is the gospel. I like how Mark calls it the gospel of God, but we know it's the the gospel of Jesus, but it's also the gospel of God because God is the one who kind of set all of this thing into place here. But it is the gospel of Jesus too. And it is this good news that the king is here. Again, it's kingdom language. Kingdom dominating sin with the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The kingdom, right? So repent and believe because the kingdom is at hand. So wherever the kingdom is, there is the king. Wherever the king is, there is the kingdom, right? Y'all tracking with that? So, So wherever the king is, there's the kingdom. Now here's a question then that I ask. So where now is the king? 
Well, in Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So where's the king? In us. Ephesians 3.17, that Christ may dwell richly in your hearts through faith. The king is in your life, in your heart. In 2 Corinthians 13.5, do you not know that Christ is in you? Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The king is in us. Then where is the kingdom? It's within us. Wherever the king is, there's the kingdom. The king is seated at the right hand of the father, The king is in us, the kingdom is before us, and the kingdom is here now. Do we want to dominate the kingdom message? Yes. And what we want to do is see sin conquered in our area, and how we do that is Christ within us advancing the kingdom of God advancing the kingdom of God and, 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 and not shying away from the public square, but being right there where people are, getting our tails involved in politics, getting ourselves involved in legislation, getting ourselves involved in our schools and our jobs and our works. Everywhere we go, because the king is within us, we're advancing the kingdom message around us. This is not a message for us to kind of bunker down and get all scared and shy away. Like, let me go in my basement um, and and just kind of hide out from culture because I don't want to be a part of what's going on out there around all them sinners, y'all. Isn't that what we want to do? That's what I want. Let me just find them in my comfort, in my home, in my convenience. I don't want to go engage out there. But the king of the universe is inside of me and his kingdom is within me, and it is being advanced around me. I have no choice. So back to effective ministry, right? It's with an effective and clear and very simple message. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. That's it. And that's how we advance it. Hear me now, because I want to be very clear with this. You are advancing that with your mouth, Okay? You're not advancing the kingdom of God with how you live, all right? I'm not telling you that this is like a green light for you to live like a turd. That's not what I'm saying. Like this is, you are advancing the kingdom of God with your mouth, with your lips. You think Jesus was just out there being mute and just living a good life and everybody's like, oh, let's follow him. He's living a good life. Do you know every single religion bases their merit before God on how they appear. The only religion that does not do that is Christianity. Our merit is based on what Christ has already done for us. It's like that old dumb saying that I just can't get out of my head where people are like, you know, um, it totally preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Okay, if you're going to be a part of refuge, you're not allowed to say that, okay? That drives me bananas. Preach the gospel at all times. Use your mouth. 
because that's what the Bible tells us to do. In Romans 10, verse 14, you're like, well, where does the Bible tell us that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Romans verse, chapter 10, verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone just living a good life? <laughs> That's not what it says. How are they to hear without someone preaching to them, proclaiming a very simple clear message of God's love and forgiveness and peace. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. So right out the gate, Mark gives us, like here's what a dominating over Satan, dominating over sin with a message of the gospel. And then he's going to kind of give us like, like just this, awkward transition, like, and then Jesus walking along, he calls out four guys, right? So he's going to give us like what this looks like, this gospel community. So uh, first Jesus grabs Simon and Andrew, and he just tells them like, follow me. Rabbis didn't do this. And this particular era, rabbis didn't, we don't have any record of a rabbi going to someone and commanding them to follow them. Like the prophets, they would tell people, you go follow God. But now Jesus mixes up the message a little bit. And he finds and he identifies Simon and Andrew, and he tells them, follow me. And immediately they follow him. This is the sovereignty of Jesus on display Jesus' sovereignty could not be shunned away by these guys. It captivated them and brought them in immediately. It was this grace in his eyes, perhaps, that captivated these two jokers. And they had no choice. Right? right? I, I know that's, that's like uneasy for some of us, right? Like they had no choice. They had to just drop what they were doing and follow him. you know what this is? Jesus' dominance and him conquering the souls of sinners. They had no choice but to follow Jesus Christ. And then he goes to James and John. And this one is kind of a funny story for me. If you weren't, if you weren't casting um, for fish, then you were mending the nets. And so he's there they are there, James and John. We also know them as the sons of thunder, right? As another gospel describes them. So the sons of thunder are there. And Jesus gives them that, that same call, follow me. And I love like how like Mark includes in here, they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servant and went away to follow him. Can you imagine the dad? Now, if I'm Zebedee, I'm like, boy, get your butt back over here. We ain't done. Like all the Southern redneck comes out of me. Like we are working over here. Some strange dude's going to come up to you, tell you to follow him, and you just drop what you're doing, leave me with this weird guy, and so now I'm just left to do all the work? Thanks. They had every reason 
to stay on the boat. This is their livelihood. This is their business. This is how they're making money. This is how they're bringing in their food. Every reason points to them and tells them, do not follow this guy. Again, it is this subtle reminder that Jesus doesn't care about how you feel or what you're doing in the moment. The moment he calls you, it is a sudden yes. I'll follow you. The call to follow him wasn't just to be like, hey, let's be friends. You want to be my friend? Like, think about this. What they've just abandoned, that's the call. The call for them was to follow Christ. Abandon everything you've been working towards. Abandon your convenience. Abandon your livelihoods. Abandon your jobs. And abandon your dad. And follow me. And it's so weird. They, they do it, right? I mean, they just, they just follow him. I'm like, can I see your ID, please? Like, can we be social friends first? Just friend me on Facebook. Let me see if you're not a creep, right? I mean, we are going through all of the right things as we probably should do. Like, can I see like a back, let me do a background test on you, Jesus. Man, this is the captivating grace and call of God where they don't really ask questions. They're just, okay, I'm with you. That's his grace. That's what his grace does to sinners. It conquers sinners. So, so who called them? Who called the sinner? Who calls the sinner? Is it you? Well, according to Ephesians, you are dead in your sins. So you are a corpse. Think about that for a little bit, right? Happy Mother's Day. Is it the preacher? Am I calling you? Like, am I telling, be saved? Who calls you to salvation? Who calls you to follow him? It's always been Jesus. So, so here you go. You breathe. Take that weight off of you, right? Like, it's not up to you. Your job is the message of the gospel. It's Jesus' job to do the salvation. Jesus calls them to follow him and they leave everything that they have and they follow him. What is Jesus doing in this moment when he's calling Simon, Andrew, follow me, John, James, follow me. He's building a new kingdom community. Here's the implications for us. The call is no different. It is to advance and to continue building a gospel community. Building a gospel community centered around the message of Jesus Christ. He's calling them into this new community, this gospel community, where he discipled them, where he taught them this kingdom message. Do you know how we have a strong church not just by, by pursuing after holiness, not just by having a clear message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it's building strong community with each other. It's building this strong gospel-centered community where it looks like discipleship. And I love like Matthew's uh, gospel. 
Matthew 28, when he says, go make disciples, baptize them, teach them to, to obey. Like, have you ever wondered, like, what's a formula of discipleship, preacher? Baptize, teach to obey. You know how many books we've written and how many books we've read on all of this? How many books there are to be read about methods of ministry and, and methods and, and how to do effective discipleship? Well, it's right here in front of our faces to teach, to obey the commands of God. That's discipleship. So what does it look like for us to build and to advance this kingdom by building gospel-centered community? Well, it is that discipleship. It's that teaching people to obey the commands of scripture. It also means that we're helping people in our community in times of need, which I think we do an amazing job at doing that. And not just physical needs, right? But just practicing the ministry of being there. The, the practice of, of your presence, just being there with, with someone who needs someone to be there with them. It also means that we're delighting in each other's gifts and delighting in each other as God has called us to celebrate each other and not feel like we're threatened by anyone here that we are doing life, we celebrate together as believers. An effective church that Mark is modeling and he's given us as Jesus's model of effective ministry is pursue after holiness and to make known the message of Jesus Christ and to continue to build this community, this new way of community that Jesus Christ gives us here in this text. Let me pray for us this morning.